Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Dealing with riches and maybe a little bit of an identity crisis as well on episode 424 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham and I had so much fun talking to Elliot Lawrence last week about Motherland Fort Salem. I decided to go and recruit Catherine Law Hagquist to join me this week to talk about Petra Bellwether and what to expect for the rest of the season. Maybe a little bit of spoilers if if you haven't seen the season three premiere of Motherland Fort Salem yet. Yeah, there's going to be some spoilers in this interview, so just watch out for that. But she has some really interesting insight into the relationship between Abigail and Petra and a lot of other, some Adler talk as well. Some really, really cool stuff coming. Also going to talk about the new Prime Video series, Chloe, with some of the cast members. Aaron Doherty is going to join me. Pippa Bennett Warner is going to be joining me as well as, as well as Brian Michael Hall going to join me as well to talk about this show where, you know, you live two lives and there's an investigation going on and, and, and there's a, there's a friend that is there, a mysterious death. There's all kinds of really cool stuff going on in the show. You're definitely going to want to learn more about this. Plus, plenty of reviews this week. I'm going to talk about Obi-Wan. I'm going to talk about The Umbrella Academy. I'm going to talk about The Boys Hero Gasm episode. There's so much to get to, and we're going to start it off talking about Motherland Fort Salem. Catherine Lawhagwish joins me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Tierra Nay, and I play Hawkgirl on DC's Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So Motherland Fort Salem kicked off its third and final season, which still makes me sad. But at the same time, that means I get a chance to talk to some great people that have been a part of the show from the beginning. And if you get a chance to talk to Petra Bellwether, you're going to take it. It's Catherine Lowe Hagquist. <laughs> How you doing? I'm so great. Thank you so much for having us and for promoting our show and for, for all the support you've given Motherland. And we really, really appreciate it. I feel like every time I see you, though, I, I feel like, do, do I salute? Do I, do I, what, what do I do? I feel like you've just built this persona up so much over the years. I'm like, I'm, I'm intimidated. What do I do? Do, do I salute? Uh, do I say hi? Well, what, what, what happens? A hi is great. And call me, please call me Cat. Like, there's a whole lot of letters in that name. We were working on the pronunciation. The fastest and easiest way to get my attention is just call me Cat. And please feel welcome to do so. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. So you guys kicked off your, your final season of the series. I want you to talk about the fans for a moment because I think that you all have one of the best fandoms going right now. How much have you loved the passion from these fans for these characters over the years from the very beginning? It has been such a joy to get to interact with them, to get to to see their ideas about what they think is going to happen with the show, to see their reactions to what does happen with the show, to see how much they embrace the characters and are protective of them. Elliot's done such a great job at creating this world that what feels really unique about our fans is that they're part of the world with us. And it doesn't feel like there's a separation. Like they feel like inhabitants of this wonderful universe of Motherland Fort Salem. So just really grateful that we got to wrap it up for them as well. A lot of people ask like, what do you think about it being three seasons? And I'm just so grateful we got to be able to create such a, a ride for the fans so that it doesn't just end abruptly. Like we, we finish it up right. So it feels it feels really good that we've got the opportunity to, to honor their support of us by giving them a really great season. That is such a great way to look at it too. Let's get into mm-hmm. the season season three premiere event. So, so if you haven't seen it yet, what aired on Tuesday, you know, spoiler alert, just in case you haven't seen it yet, I want to throw that out there. So we saw how tense things are at Fort right now. Just how much pressure would you say Petra's under right now? And is this kind of only the beginning? Well, it is only the beginning. But one of the things I love about the way Petra's written is that she's constantly on the knife edge, having to balance her motherhood and her military obligations and trying to navigate that in a way that is authentic and shows the conflict that those two very strong pulls would be on her and 
and the worry that, that you don't just balance that in a fearless place, but that you actually show your vulnerabilities as you try and do the best possible thing with each possible decision. But she's got a lot ahead. She's got a lot of things to navigate. It's just when she thinks she has a handle on it, she doesn't. Oh, that's an understatement right there. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, though, because I feel like Petra is one of the most loyal soldier, soldiers that you're ever going to find in any unit. So talk a bit about how big it was for her to break from that a bit to help her daughter and the others escape at the end of the last, last season and keep that secret. I think she abides by a code. And so I think she recognizes when things need decisions need to be taken in support of the higher ideal. And I think that's also why it's so difficult for her because she still has to honor the, the oaths she's taken and the, and the obligations she has, not just to her daughter, but to the rest of her army. And so I think, yeah, I don't know if I'm answering the question the right way, but I'm definitely, I, it's been so fun to sort of dive into each of the scripts as the story unfolds over the season to try and figure out, you know, what would I do if I was in that position? Would I would I be able to play it the way she does or would I tip over to one side or the other because of how emotionally it pulls on me? So yeah, she's challenging that way. <laughs> oh, no doubt about it. It makes sense to me. I thought that was perfect. So let's talk about that call for a minute that we had in the season three premiere. We see Petra and Abigail, they get to speak to one another for the first time since she, you know, she had to go into hiding. How important was it for them to have that connection in the midst of everything that's going on? I think it reassures Petra that the soldier she knows her daughter to be is still able to function and and to protect herself and those of her unit. I think it gives her some ease to know she's still got some time to try and protect her daughter and come up with another plan. I think there's a lot of things. I also think it gives her some reassurance to get information that she's gathered to Abigail. And I think that that's important to her as well, because it's one thing to sort of trust your daughter has great instincts. It's another to know something that's a, a threat to her and not be able to get that information to her as part of her strategy. So I think there's a lot of ways that that call is so important to Petra being able to bring her focus back to, to the bigger plate at hand. And again, one of those only be the beginning type things too. You can, uh, yeah, you can absolutely tell that. You used the word code a second ago, and I thought that was really important because mm -hmm. I had that circled right here because bellwethers have their codes, they mm -hmm. have their principles, and those are of utmost importance. So in your opinion, do you think Abigail not wanting to change her face that we saw in the season three premiere to hide out is mostly about her not wanting to use that spree magic? I think it's part of that, but I also think it's part of the masterful way in which this world is created as so allegorical to our times in general. Like, I think it's really, really meaningful for a woman of color to say, I don't want to change my face to, to make things easier or to, to move away from who I am as I try and navigate to a more stable situation. And I think that that is a, I think that's a very profound image and a profound context to place that whole discussion in because, because it isn't an option. And so to, to sort of reject that as the easy way out and to stay true to sort of, I will stand as myself and I will fight as myself, I think is really important, especially in these times. That is amazing. I hadn't even thought about that. That is very, very well put. Talking to Thank Catherine you. Law Hagquist, who of course plays Petra Bellwether on Motherland Fort Salem, which you can see every Tuesday night on Freeform and of course next day on Hulu. Okay, ha okay, Kat. One of the biggest storylines this season will be what's going on with Adler. Now, when I talked to Elliot Lawrence last week, he said that Adler's going to be going quite a journey this season. No spoilers, of course, but how do you think Petra would react to finding out that Alder is still out there. They've had such a journey, these two, you know? I mean, and when you think about how long Alder has been a force, how many generations of bellwethers have served Alder, and then to be part of the uh, transition that Alder is going through in terms of, of all of that, I think, I think it weighs on Petra, especially because <laughs> things were going great up until she got took over, and then she had a really bad first couple days of work. So... I think her reflections on what she's learned, both generationally passed on through the Bellwether line, but also in her own service to Alder, I think is framed in a different context now that Alder's not there. And I think that that is part of where Alder's journey during this season becomes really interesting when they, when they do intertwine. 
Well, I can tell you, Kat, it's easy to have a bad day at work when you've got the Camarilla seemingly entrenching themselves in the government. And it's not like Petra can just kind of, you know, lead the charge against them and remove them just with a, with a coup or something like that. So especially with the witch plague, that's still at play, too. So can we see mm-hmm. more of her political prowess come out a little bit more this season? I think she definitely has to to navigate some of the political waters. I mean, she's still an employee of the government, you know, so while up until this point, there was a certain degree of autonomy that Alder had in terms of how she decided to run the military, that definitely gets gets challenged. And there are, you know, it's always a challenge to have to respect the office, even if you don't respect the holder of it. So I think that becomes a really important balancing another degree of balance that Petra has to explore in terms of how to navigate staying in her role so that she can protect her soldiers, but also not giving them reason to remove her. So in case you couldn't tell, the show runs a lot deeper than you might think it does. Just yeah. you, the points that she's bringing up, you might go, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, this show's deep, people. If you never realized that before, it really, it really, really is. is. And he, every season, I'm amazed at how many parallels there are to what's going on in the world at large that are reflected in, in amazingly specific imagery mm-hmm. in the in the motherland Fort Salem universe. And so it's been really satisfying to know that as we navigate what's happening in the broader world, this story will still be there to sort of be a motif for how that gets navigated and and educational in an allegorical sense about how to try and do good in the world. Most definitely. Now, yeah. one of the things that makes me happy is we know that we've got where Petra's got some allies on her side. We know that, but things are certainly not. I mean, th- that doesn't make it safe. It's still very, very dangerous. Again, mm-hmm. I'm going to say no spoilers, but could we see more allies coming her way in future episodes or could there be some defectors possibly? There's a lot that's possible. That's what's scary, <laughs> though, Kat. You're, you're scaring me here. You're scaring the fans. Everybody wants to make sure that Petra comes out of this okay. That's all I'm saying. I'm just I'm just hoping that she's going to have more people on her side coming up. I think that you know circumstances make for unusual unusual allegiances. So yeah, I definitely think that there's some some surprises in in store for how it all unfolds. Is it so well crafted that I'm like, if I pull this string, does that unlock unlock this? And so I'm trying to be as cryptic as possible so that oh, you have to take I, I have the ideas rattling around <laughs> in my head, too. I can only imagine what happens for you guys when you're reading the scripts. So one of the things that I've always loved about this show is the incredible cast. You guys have had such great chemistry, like right from the get-go. What's it been like for you working with everyone, especially Ashley, and building these relationships on the screen? It has been such a joy to spend so much time in the company of women, in the company of creative women, in the company of women filled with agency and clarity about their own walk on this planet. It's been a real treat and I miss them. And I'm, I'm working on a feature film now and it's a decidedly different energy. And as much as I'm loving it, it's just, it's, it's different. Like we had this really little utopian scenario for three seasons and, and it it really, I mean, it's such a cliche to say it became like family, but you know, I, I, I miss them. I miss the girls and I miss, Miss Demetria and I miss Lynn Renee. Who we had a lot of scenes together and, and feels like you're missing, missing folks who should be around. So um, it's hard. It's hard not to miss that group. That's for it sure. Is. No it doubt. Is. And it was also really just because the show did such a great job at showing different generations of womanhood. Um, because if in season one and two, the biddies, you know, I mean, we had such diversity in terms of age and stage and representation on the screen. And so to be able to celebrate that and then to sort of mourn that, oh, gosh, that was really like such a, a highlight of my career and of storytelling in terms of being so woman focused and, and but intersectional and, and supportive of just the spectrum of, of humanity through this lens of female storytelling, I thought was really, really special. And, and to see these, the younger set, the younger three sort of mature as their own individual artists and women, as they were also reflecting the journey of these three soldiers was also really satisfying. You know, the kids are all right. That's always good to know. That's always good to know. (laughs) Kat, before I let you go, what's the one thing you'll always remember about working on this show other than, of course, what you just mentioned? Just the feeling of being supported, the feeling of being able to, to just rely without question on, on my scene partners and to know that we, we would work it out and we would figure it out and, and to really be able to collaborate with the directors. We had such an amazing group of directors 
and just the sense of fun, like the sense of knowing we were telling important stories that were through a, a fantasy lens, but still had a lot of meaning. And hopefully with the entertainment value comes some really inspiring thoughts about how we should treat each other and how difference can, can be special and unique and embraced. Absolutely. We get to see how it all shakes out this season. The final season of Motherland Fort Salem, which airs every Tuesday night on Freeform. You're going to want to watch it again. I know this. You know this. So watch it again on Hulu the next day and see everything that she and the wonderful cast has to offer. It's Catherine Law Hagquist. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. And if you think back to season one, Petra, to season three, Petra, the characters come such a long way as far as being a mother and, and a part of a family and not just like the hardened military leader that we saw from her at the very, very beginning. And just the growth of this character has been so amazing and seeing how she interacts with Abigail on, on the screen and, and her and Ashley, it's just incredible what Catherine and the group have been able to do. And it's going to be a wild ride for Petra this season. Fingers crossed that she gets to make it through, but you got to watch every Tuesday on Freeform. You got to watch Motherland Fort Salem to find out the next day on Hulu as well. Thanks to Catherine Law Hagquist for joining me to talk about Motherland Fort Salem. Up next, going to jump over to the reviews and give a spoiler-filled review of the Obi-Wan season finale. Is it a series finale? We'll get into that too next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Vanessa Marshall, voice of Gamora on Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Hera on Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's the epic showdown that we've been waiting for and the Obi-Wan season one finale. Is it a series finale? Maybe. I'll talk about that here in a minute. But here's some spoiler-filled thoughts that I have for you. And again, you go into this finale, you know, Obi-Wan's trying to get Leia back to the Organa family. And you think, okay, everything's going to be great. You know, they're going to they're, they're gonna get out of this just fine. And, and you kind of figure that because... Again, this is a prequel series. You know who lives and who dies. And that's something that's very, very difficult to deal with. But at the same time, when you get that moment on the transport where Obi-Wan says, you know what? I got to get off this thing. If I get off this thing, Vader's going to chase me. He's going to stop chasing you guys. But here's the thing. You think of Obi-Wan. He's the pure one, right? He's the one that you say, okay, he's going to do the right thing. No matter what. But what I thought was interesting, a story choice that they made here when they were talking, when he was talking to Roken, he's and Roken looks at him and says, it's not about us, is it? It's about you and him. And I thought that is a brilliant story choice. And here's why, because it's not a completely altruistic reason that Obi-Wan wants to get off this transport. He knows he has to face Anakin. He knows that he has to face Vader, much like Luke knew in the in the original trilogy that he had to face his father. Obi-Wan knows he has to face Anakin or he's never going to be able to move forward with his life. So, yeah, it was part he wanted to save everybody else and part he knew he needed to do this for himself. And is that a selfish choice? I don't think it is because you have to look out for your own mental well-being as well. And think about that. That's kind of heavy-handed to say for a Jedi, right? But at the same time, that just goes to show you, you you have to look out for yourself sometimes and not being able to move forward with your life because of something like this is a big, big deal. And again, I'm going to skip around with this review a little bit, so, so kind of hang with me on this. When they do finally show down, first of all, it's like the greatest rock fight of all time, isn't it? <laughs> just throwing giant rocks at each other. I actually posted that thing on the, the, the GIF on Twitter where it's Charlie Brown saying, I got a rock from the Halloween special because that's how I felt when I was watching them chuck these boulders at each other. Vader's big mistake was walking away. When he thought he had Obi-Wan beat, he piled the rocks on him in the giant hole. Oh, by the way, I love the whole high ground thing where clearly... Anakin has the high ground on Obi-Wan. You think it's over and it's not over because he walks away and how he didn't know that he didn't have Obi-Wan beat. I don't know. Or maybe it was a little bit of cockiness on Vader's part. So Obi-Wan gets back up. And of course, the battle goes much differently 
in round two and certainly goes in Obi-Wan's favor. And you see that power for him return. And I thought one of the really, really big moments during this battle when, when Vader gets really jacked up and you see the, the mask get cut in half, which I thought was a really neat moment. And fast forward to, you know, they're kind of talking to each other. Obi-Wan apologizes. And Vader basically says, you know, like, hey, you didn't kill Anakin, I did. And then when Obi-Wan says, my, then my friend is truly dead. And you see that moment where it's like almost a, a strange relief, but also sadness at the same time. And he knows that there's no saving him anymore at this point. And then Obi-Wan walks away. Now, it's clear that Vader can't really fight back in this condition. So that's a little bit different. But again, he, it's one of those times where he had a chance to finish him off and he didn't. And if he made that choice, how differently would things have been? How much different would things have been in what would ends up being the original trilogy? So that's an interesting question that you can ask. But I thought overall the battle between the two of them was really, really solid. I thought that really lived up to expectations. So that was really neat. I also liked how they gave, you know, Leia her moment of, you know, she doesn't want Ben to go, but at the same time she kind of gets to the point. I love that Haja talks her down too. I think that that was really interesting that he's like, I'll talk to her. And then that's how she kind of calms down. So you, you, you kind of give him a cool moment too. And, and he's, he had the, the, his redemption moment already as far as I was concerned. But I thought that was a neat thing that they did. And of course, Leia and, and Obi-Wan get to have their moment in that particular moment right before he leaves. But the one thing that bothered me about this finale and I promise you that this isn't me piling on the Reva hate. I've actually liked Reva's character throughout the series. So this is not a knock on the character at all. More about a writing choice. I thought it was interesting that they had her go after Luke. And I don't, not in the sense that, you know, that wouldn't make sense because obviously she knows more about Luke than Luke does. And I think that she knows just like Obi-Wan knows and 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 Vader to a certain extent knows you know that Luke is essentially a Jedi in waiting and the reason she's going after him I thought was a little weird like okay so she has that moment where she gets betrayed basically by the empire by Vader because well based on her failure perceived failure anyway the grand inquisitor comes back right and they sort of leave her for dead so she chooses in that moment to go after Luke and her reasoning behind that kind of is, well, you killed my family, so I'm going to kill yours. And obviously you see her not do it and you see the flashbacks of, you know, and then she realizes, okay, how can I do this to them when this was done to me? And, and, and look what, you know, look what happened to me because of that. I can't do this. So she, she does have that moment, but I don't know if it was blind rage or what it was, but it's like she wanted to kill Luke to get back at, Vader as if Vader gives a damn about Luke at all like that would really stick to him right like that would be the thing that goes oh man you, well you killed my son so now now I'm really upset and my world is shattered I don't know that this Vader feels that way obviously you see that Vader ends up having feelings for Luke and having feelings for his son later on we see that in Return of the Jedi obviously they're there but in this particular moment in his life, I don't think we're there. I mean, obviously the whole Leia thing as well should prove to you that Vader is not there when it comes to his children. So to, for her to make that choice and for the story actually to make that choice for her, I thought was really, really odd. I also thought it was a little odd that Owen and Beru were able to hold her off as well as they did, you'd think that, you know, she'd be able to cut through a couple of farmers pretty easy, even in an injured state. So that to me was a little weird. It was a little weird sequence. Plus the, the, the suspense isn't really there because again, you kind of know that Owen lives, Baru lives, Luke lives. The only one we don't really know the future of is Reva, right? So, and, and I didn't think that she was going to die at all, but the, that was just a really weird sequence to me. I wanted there to be suspense and there just kind of wasn't. And again, I, I, I wish they'd made a different story choice for her in that moment, but it didn't also, it also didn't throw me off as far as the entire episode was concerned. 
I love the meeting between Leia and Obi-Wan at the end there. I also love that when Owen says, you want to meet him, and Obi-Wan gets to meet Luke and give him the toy and things like that, right after Obi-Wan says, you know, I'm going to take off. He doesn't really need me. He needs you guys, and he needs to be a boy. I'm going to get out of your hair. And then that kind of turns completely the other way, right? And he gets to go ahead and meet him. And that's kind of where we're left other than, you know, you get Qui-Gon at the end and you you figured that he was going to show up at some point. So I thought this was a pretty solid finale overall. Again, the the, the one weird thing for me didn't really derail me any. I I think it was left open-ended on purpose. I like the interaction too between Vader and the Emperor at the end as well. I don't know that we'll get a season two. I really don't. I don't know that we need to get a season two. Would I be upset about it? Absolutely not, because I liked the series, and I wouldn't mind seeing more. But I think it's interesting that nobody's really talking about Leia. We've got Vivian Blair, who just was fantastic as a young Leia Organa. And where's my season one of Leia? Where's my season one of an Organa? series because you kind of see her deciding okay I'm going to be the princess I'm going to be the figurehead now but I'm going to do it my way and the family's going to kind of you know shepherd her along in that in that regard in doing it her way so I think the interesting story there to tell is not necessarily what's next for Obi-Wan and how that story unfolds but for Leia I think that her story might be the more compelling one of the two to continue so if we were to pivot this to a Leia Organa series, or just you know whatever you want to call it, you want to you want to call it Leia, you want to call it, call it Organa, you want to come up with another cute name, I don't care. I think that focusing on her a little bit more would be a really interesting way to go with this whole thing, and you could incorporate some of these characters from before. Haja could certainly be in this series and some others. If you wanted to pivot to that, I don't think that would be a stupid idea at all. If you wanted to continue this. As her story. But again, I'm not going to say no to another Obi-Wan either because I, I really enjoyed it. I know that the show faced its criticisms, but I certainly enjoyed it. That's going to do it for my spoiler filled review of the Obi-Wan series finale. I'm going to go ahead and call it that. Up next, let's talk about Chloe, the new Prime Video series. I've got the stars of that series to talk all about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Melanie Scrifano. I play Winona Earp, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. On social media, you can be whoever you want to be, but what about in real life? Well, Chloe is a series that kind of looks at that in a very, very interesting way. The new Prime Video series is really, really just, it'll take you in a whole bunch of different directions. I can tell you that right now. And I got to talk to the cast of the series about this very interesting story that will definitely keep you guessing and keep you on the edge of your seat. I want to start with Aaron Doherty, who plays Becky on the show. Might be the most interesting character on the show, but is that the only name that she goes by? This is kind of one of those, if you know, you know type of things. But let's hear what Aaron has to say. Becky, I mean, Sasha, whatever you want to call her, is a very complex character. I mean, one minute I'm rooting for her, the next minute I'm mad at her. So yeah. how did you approach the role? I think, like, exactly what you just said. Like, it makes me so happy. I think the role is one that is true to most people. I think we do things that are questionable. And I, like, I, I admit it myself. Like, some days I'm really proud to be who I am, and some days I'm like, oh, God, you, that's questionable, Erin. Why did you do that? I think it's really, it's important to accept those flaws and to go yes part of being a human being is maybe making questionable decisions and that is what I loved about it because I think it's quite rare to see them written down in so messy a way 
Oh, no doubt about that. Yeah. It also amazes me, though, how resourceful Becky is and how she was kind of able to continually weave this web of lies to keep Sasha in the right spot. So did you feel that same anxiety anxiety in those tense moments in those scenes yeah. like, like I did when I'm watching this thing? Because there are moments like, oh, she's going to get caught. Yeah. It was anxiety-inducing. I honestly just felt the fear the whole way through the shoot. It was four months of fear. And I, I really kind of loved that because it was such... It was like a pain-free way of just staying in character. Like, I genuinely was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing today, but we'll see what happens. And I, I feel like that is... That was the most truthful way of going about portraying Becky because that's how she is feeling. Like, she's just throwing herself off a cliff and, and seeing where she lands. It's good to know the panic on your face was genuine, though. So that, that's, yeah. that's good because it was oh, it was all over your face, and I loved that. Fantastic. I loved it. Well, great. So there's a, couple, there's a couple of different aspects to this story at play here, and we even see that in the trailer as well that we've already seen. So how much do you think Becky wants to find out what happened to Chloe versus her desire to kind of better her own life? Oh, my gosh. That's such, like, that's part of the push and pull of the story. And, again, like, that's what I find so interesting about her is that like yeah she 100% wants to know what happened to this friend of hers but also you're completely right and again I was like oh Alice Seabright the creator you're so brilliant because it, it it's possible to want both things and to be in that kind of just relationship with yourself of questioning your own motives and I think there are 100% times when she finds herself in a situation that she can admit she's only there because she wants to live that lifestyle. And I think we're all guilty of that. But yeah, Becky is really treading that line and completely falling over either which way into both of them. And, and I feel like that is so true to, to who we are as human beings. So quickly, Erin, before I let you go, after you were done shooting this, did this make you want to have your phone in your hand less? Yeah. When you were done or more, because oh. I can only imagine where you were at at the end of this. Less, 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 less. It's, yeah, it's made me go, okay, we, like, phones are great, and I'm so grateful to be able to pick it up and go online and, I don't even know, research how to make the best coffee at home. But at the same time, you need to just put it down. Like, I do genuinely spend days when I'm like, okay, I'm going to leave my phone in the bedroom today, and I'm not going to look at it, because I think it's, yeah, this show did make me very nervous about how easy it is to become addicted to our phones, like let alone social media, just picking up your phone or having it in your hand. Like why? It's scary. And you guys will see just how scary it is on June the 24th. That's when you can watch Chloe on Prime Video. Aaron Doherty, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. So you can't talk about Becky or Sasha without talking about Livia and Josh, who of course are played by Pippa Bennett-Warner and Brandon Michael Hall. And you could say their characters' interactions with Becky and Sasha are very, very different. Let's find out more. Hey, Brandon, Pippa, how you doing? Good, good. How, how are, are you? you? Doing very, very good, thank you. So okay. it's really interesting because both of your characters know the same woman, but two very, very different people. Mm -hmm. So how would your characters describe the version of Becky that you know? Mm. Do you want to get first? Or you eccentric. Get first? I will use the word eccentric for Josh, captivating and mysterious. I would say like sweet and darling and a darling and mm. kind and generous and friendly. Which again, that kind of proves my point that they're right. very, exactly. very different people, which is a super, super interesting part yeah. of the show. <laughs> Pippa, I want to talk about Livia for a minute because yeah. one thing I love about her is that she's part of the elite, but she doesn't come off is an elitist, which is really, really great. So what is your favorite thing about her? I think I love her kind of joie de vivre and her, and her style. I know that's a couple of things you only asked for one, but like I just, there's something about her energy that when I read her, I knew exactly how I wanted to take her off the page. And I think mm -hmm. that, that goes down, that's back, that goes back to Alice and her kind of genius writing. But yeah, I love her energy. I love, I love her energy. One of my favorite characters on the show, Brandon, is Josh. Thank you. For sure. Because I love that he comes right back at her. It's a really mm -hmm. interesting cat and mouse game. So how do you? How much can you tell us about that kind of back and forth that they have basically throughout the entire series? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's de definitely what you just said. It's a cat and mouse game, but 
in a sense, it's two cats and, and no mouse. You know, it's just they, they're very in each other's face and, and at the same time, also very sweet and open to each other because they both need something from each other, which is honesty and truth, which makes it so hard at the very end and not to spoil anything when, when it happens uh, at the very end of the, of the series that Josh is so attached to her because they've been sharing this secret for so long mm. um, that he just wants to go off and we can do this anywhere. It's you and me, that Bonnie and Clyde sense. But yeah, it's very, it's very much cat and cat. They don't back down from each other. And really quickly before I let you guys go, what is it about her you think that just makes her so easy to believe? She's she's whip smart and mm. she's quick. On the feet, yeah. Excellent, yeah, excellent. Well, you guys are going <laughs> to find out just how whip smart she is because on June the 24th, that's when you'll be able to see, see Chloe on that's Prime crazy. Video. And they're amazing characters as well. Brandon, Pippa, thank you so much thank for you. your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Smart, yes. But there's so much going on in Becky's life that you, you're almost amazed that she can keep up with everything. And in a, in a way, she kind of doesn't as well. This series has so many interesting story points to it. And then you couple that in with, like I said, with the anxiety of, you know, is she going to get caught this time? What's going to happen next? And that is the, it's such a cliche. I know, but there's, this is definitely one of those series where you're like, okay, what's going to happen next? Cause I'm not exactly sure where this thing's going to go. And, and that is one of the beauty parts of this show. Make sure you're watching Chloe now streaming on prime video. Again, thanks to Aaron Doherty, Pippa Bennett Warner, and Brandon Michael Hall for joining me to talk about Chloe up next. Speaking of Prime Video, it's Herogasm Week, and i got to talk about this big episode of The Boys because a lot happened, and we'll do it spoiler-free next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah, brothers, this is Josh Segura, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. If you're a big fan of The Boys, you've probably been waiting for this one all season. The big Herogasm episode is finally here. And since it just dropped, though, I want to give a spoiler-free review of this just in case because I don't want to ruin this for anybody. I will say this, that given the storyline in the comics and given the title of the episode, you're expecting shock and all, right? That's exactly what you were kind of built up towards all week long. And I don't know... If this show's desensitized me to a certain point or what. But I wasn't really stunned with what I saw. Even in the moment where things get really graphic and things get very graphic very quick in this episode. It didn't really stun me because I think that the boys have reached so many lines and crossed them. That I think that if you've been watching this show from the beginning, I'm not sure that much surprises you at this point. You might be surprised with a couple of things. That happened in this episode, sure. But as far as the actual hero-gasm part of this whole thing, I, that didn't shock me. But what made this episode so important is that there were so many things that, as a fan, you've kind of been waiting for that you kind of get in this episode. And this, this part might get a tad spoilery, but I can't really talk about this episode without talking about it. You know, we get to find out more about the deal between Soldier Boy, Butcher, and Huey, who's basically completely in this now. If you didn't realize that last week's episode, you're going to realize it this week for sure. Huey's in now, regardless of what happens. He's in at this point. So you get to see more about that partnership. You obviously know what Soldier Boy's trying to do. You obviously know that Vought is trying to keep this whole thing quiet because that's what Vought does. Now, how does that work out, and how does this affect Homelander? It's very interesting what happens to Homelander, actually, in this episode, and how his story sort of plays out in this specific episode. Because I'm sh- I think it, there's one very important moment that happens, and it's about midway through the episode, and it's before he even goes anywhere. And that's not a spoiler. Obviously, you know, he's going to go somewhere. And, and it kind of explains a few things about Homelander. And how he, why he is how he is, for lack of a better way of putting it. Now, what happens with him later on in the episode is something that I think is going to be very satisfying if you're a fan of the boys. There's a showdown or two or three that you've probably been waiting for for a long, long time. And you finally get it in this episode. And you get it in a way that you haven't had it before or you're, you're not expecting to get it. 
Vague, I know. That's why we do this spoiler-free, because I'm trying not to ruin it for you. You should be thanking me, basically, is what I'm trying to tell you. You also get some very interesting moments with M.M. and him teaming up with somebody that you might not expect him to be teaming up with. It's not like they've never worked together before, but it looks like there's almost a, a brand new alliance that is going to be forming in, in, in upcoming episodes and how that sort of plays out. The end of this episode is huge. And it has, and MM is a big part of what happens at the end of this episode. It's kind of a scorched earth moment for the show and one character in particular. And where it goes from there, I think is going to be, it's, it's a big wow moment. You're not really expecting it to happen. And it does. There's also some big moments with Frenchie and Kimiko in this episode as well. Obviously, you saw what happened last week. The musical number was really great. But what's the aftermath of that, especially with what happens with Frenchie and how does that whole thing play out? And there's a big revelation between Kimiko and Frenchie in this episode as well. It's a really, really cool moment that I that I really love. So basically what I'm trying to tell you, and I'll, I'll get to some of the other stuff that happens in the episode in a second, but... You, you're kind of brought in by the title of Herogasm, right? Especially it's one of the more famous comic runs from the boys' comics. But what you're left with is all these substantive moments that are really a big peak moment for the series and this, not just the season, but the series as a whole. And you could argue that this is the best episode of the series ever. And that's saying a lot because there's been a lot of good episodes in this series so far, but you could definitely make that argument. Now, we also get some stuff with A-Train that kind of sets some things up very interestingly. You get a not-so-surprising moment from the deep. You want to talk about a shocking moment in the episode. It involved the, the one that shocked me the most involved the deep, and it shouldn't have shocked me, but it did because when you see it, you can't unsee it, basically is where I'm going with that. But you get to see exactly how strong Soldier Boy is, you get to see something very interesting or two or three or four or whatever from from Homelander. This is a no turning back episode for sure. And this really sets up the rest of the season of the boys nicely. And it's one of those moments where if this was a show that wasn't a weekly and you were able to binge all the episodes at once if you wanted to. This is the episode where you go, well, now I can't stop. I, I've got to finish the season at this point. Because once you hit this episode, there's so much stuff that happens. There's there's no turning back for you as a viewer either because you're going to want to finish the whole thing. But yeah, we've got to wait for weekly episodes. And there's just a couple of more episodes of The Boys Left on Prime Video. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review, which was nearly impossible, of the Herogasm episode from The Boys Season 3. Up next, we'll head to Netflix and talk about The Umbrella Academy. So a ton of reviews to do this week. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Lydian Brunt from Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Once again, venturing into another paradox. Season 3 of the Umbrella Academy is now streaming on Netflix, and I was going back and forth on whether or not to do this with spoilers, so I think I am going to go spoiler-free on this review. And yes, it is the Umbrella Academy meets the Sparrow Academy right away and you didn't you know you get a little bit of a vibe in the trailers about what the sparrow academy is like and what the whole thing is going to be like actually but when the vibe that i got from the sparrow academy right away yes they're dicks for sure they're dicks but you all they're also like you know when you go to the gym and you're not so super comfortable at the gym you're not one of these people that goes to the gym a lot you just go there because you feel like you know you, you, you need to work out you need to be healthy sort of thing and you run into the people at the gym who like live at the gym and can't stop talking about the gym can't stop talking about their workout routines and things that they do and and giving people tips you know unrealistic tips and things like that and they're just you know like super annoying that's the vibe I got from the Sparrow Academy. That's how I felt. Except for Sloan. And that is pretty obvious from the get-go. That Sloan does not really fit in with the rest of the Sparrow Academy. She even calls them like psychos or something at one point. And the connection between she and Luther. I thought was a really, really interesting one early on. And you get to see how that evolves 
throughout the season. And I'm just happy for Luther. Just going to say that right now. No, no spoilers. I'm not giving you any details. Just happy for Luther. Luther deserves this at, at, at this point. I thought that that was a really, really cool thing to happen to him, especially with everything that's going on. But there's a lot of heavy in this season for sure, especially with Allison. Allison really goes through it, especially in the early part of this season. And I really think Klaus, again, kind of goes through it as well. But, you know, Klaus kind of deals with that kind of stuff in a different way. There's still plenty of fun to be had, though. We still we get plenty of dancing. I'll tell you that. You, know, you get it right away, too, in a very unexpected way. And I really, really love that that happens. And I'll, I'll, tell, you my, I'll tell you this much. Right in the first episode, I love that, this, that that happens right away. So I thought that was very, very cool. Seeing uh, this might be a little bit of a spoiler. You, you probably already re- figured this out, though. Diego is a dad. It's really, really fun how kind of Lila just kind of drops the kid there and says, okay, been dealing with this for 12 years. Your turn. Bye. And then, of course, you know, Lila has her own thing that she's got going on throughout the season. But it was really fun, that interaction between Diego and his son. I thought that that was a really, really fun thing. I also want to talk about Victor. We see at the beginning Elliot Page as Vanya, and you see Vanya, I don't want to say become Victor because I don't think that's the right right way to say it. We see Vanya decide to basically live the truth, and that is to live life as Victor. So they kind of decide to make that decision, and there's a coming out moment in the show. And it's again, it's very, very early and it's very Umbrella Academy. And of course, there's the whole, you know, does anybody have a problem with this sort of thing? And you see how that plays out and it plays out very, very well. I'll tell you that much. And there's there's a lack of surprise there that seems very refreshing in that situation. But at the same time, five is going to be five. And it's not in a mean way or anything like that. And it's it has nothing to do with Victor coming out and everything to do with, hey, you know, happy for you, but uh, you don't speak for this family sort of thing. So, and and it very much has to do with the situation that they're in. But I really thought that the way that that was handled was really, really neat and very, very, uh, very unique for television. I will say that in that the way it was presented, the, the reactions I thought were very real from the family and that was just very, very cool. And Victor actually plays a very important role in what is ultimately the story for this season. And that is about, and this is the only spoiler I'm really going to give you, about the moms. And about this whole grandfather paradox. And how, you know, all the moms for the Umbrella Academy all died on the same day, their birthday. And what's up with that? So we get to see that kind of unravel throughout the season. You get to see the Sparrows and the Umbrella Academy slowly drift toward each other instead of against each other throughout the season. There's some really cool stuff, too, and this was unexpected for me. Some really interesting stuff between Reginald and Klaus, and that is something that I kind of didn't expect going into this whole thing. And I think I think what goes on with Pogo as well is also really, really interesting in this season. You get to see plenty of familiar faces, too, whether it be really quickly or, or a little bit more than you kind of expect so this season of umbrella academy again a lot of fun again you're 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 just another paradox and the the thing though about the umbrella academy is they don't seem like they don't really come off as screw-ups they they seem like they're presented that way outwardly by by well reginald for one and then the sparrow academy for another but they're really not screw-ups they're just a dysfunctional family who happens to make the occasional huge mistake that could cause a huge paradox and destroy the world. And they're also fighting a very, very different evil. And I'm going to call, I'm going to go ahead and call it evil. Fighting a very different evil this time around and one that they might not be able to handle on their own. And that's something that they realize right away. It's really cool too, that they found a way, they, they found a way to not only manage already a big ensemble cast, but to bring almost a whole other ensemble into this thing as well. It's like bringing two different wardrobes on vacation, you know, having like this giant list of options to wear, to do whatever you're going to be doing on your vacation. And ultimately you just, you know, some of them get left in the, in the closet or in the suitcase because you've got too much. They don't, that doesn't happen in this season of the umbrella Academy. I thought that everybody that needed to get their due, got their due. 
And I thought that the way that they blended these two families, for lack of a better way of putting it, was really, really neat. And they still get to have the fun that you've come to know for the first two seasons of the Umbrella Academy. And if you're a fan of the comics as well, that's something that you're going to recognize here too. So, yeah, how what's going to happen You know, for a potential fourth season? We kind of get that teased a little bit at the end as well. Not going to spoil that for you at all. But this is one of those ones where it's just fun. This is just a fun show. There, there's some really important emotional beats in there too. And this is one of the more dysfunctional families that you're going to find, but the love is there in a very unique way. And you see a lot of interesting pairings between the families and you both within the umbrella Academy and between the umbrella Academy and the Sparrow Academy, you see some very interesting stuff there. And the dynamic that they create is a pretty darn good one. If you ask me, that's going to do it for my spoiler-free review, most for the most part, of Season 3 of The Umbrella Academy, now streaming on Netflix. Up next, let's get to some nerd news and let's talk about something else on Netflix. That Stranger Things trailer. We'll talk about that next. I'm James Witham and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Victoria Atkin, the voice of Evie Fry, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to run up that hill one last time. It's time for nerd news. And Stranger Things Season 4 Volume 2, the trailer has just dropped, even though Volume 2 starts a week from the the day that this podcast drops, a week from today, Friday. So you might already be watching Season 4 Volume 2 while you're listening to this, but the trailer really teases something ominous not that we didn't already know that but like it, you've heard the interviews right especially like joseph quinn who plays of course eddie munson recently said it's going to be a massacre and that's kind of the vibe you get from this trailer right you've got you've got l that's going off and you know brenner says she's not ready she goes anyway because she knows her friends are in trouble very luke skywalker-esque of her i will say that you see vecna and you don't actually see any deaths or, or any teases of any deaths in this trailer. But you see certain somber looks at times in the trailer, like with Nancy especially. There's one with Nancy in particular. And that makes you think, okay, they just lost somebody. And you even see you even see Robin say, you know, I don't feel like it's going to work out for us this time. And that is, the, that is the theme of the trailer is that, you know, hey, your friends have lost. You hear Vecna say that. To I, I would say that he's saying it to Elle, and she's pretty upset about it. You even see Will and, and Mike in a, in a big hug, and they're crying at one point. So stuff's going to go wrong in the second half of this season, and I, I think that mentally preparing ourselves for that is the best thing that we could possibly do. And I was thinking about this, like, who's going to die in this thing? And I haven't seen it. I have no prior knowledge of who it's going to be, what's going to happen, or anything like that. I don't see how Eddie Munson survives, honestly. And I love Eddie. I'm not saying this because I want him to go. I, you know, I, I think that I'm going to be very upset if and when that happens. But here's the deal. If they kill off Bob, they're going to kill off Eddie. And if you, you, if you know, you know, sort of thing. It, it just has that feel to it that Eddie is going to die. Actually, I also think Joyce will die. I, I don't know why. I just have this feeling that Joyce is going to die, but Will will live. I think Will's going to live. Joyce will die. I think Hopper will actually live as well. So that'll create something very interesting going forward there because Hopper certainly has dealt with plenty of loss in his life. And that would be one that not only would he not expect, but I think would rock him to his core. I also think I I don't see how L survives. I I, I really don't. I mean, that is one where it's almost like it's going to be a Superman doomsday type situation, I think, where she has to sacrifice herself in order to win the day and defeat Vecna, which ultimately I think that they'll do. I, I think that that's how it's going to go down. And I know we kind of saw that with Hopper in the previous season where, you, okay, you think he's dead and he's not. We've actually thought Elle was dead before and she wasn't too. But this time I think I think it's going to be for keeps. I think Brenner dies. I think that, I actually think the core group will live. I think that Mike, Will, Dustin, and Lucas will all live. I don't know why. I just have this feeling and, and that they're going to be the ones that are left. That core group will be the ones that remain. I don't know about Max yet, and I don't know about Steve. I know that Steve Harrington is one that fans are really concerned about. I'm concerned about Steve, too, 
But I don't know. This one, it just feels like he's not going to die. It just seems like that one's too obvious. It seems like he's the obvious choice for, okay, this one's going to gut fans. If we do this, this will have people talking forever. And that's probably true, especially, you know, the redemption that that character's gone on has been incredible. But I don't think that he dies. I think Jonathan dies, though. I think the older brother dies. I think Nancy will actually live as well. So, you know, I'm not going to run down the list of every character. I know I've kind of started doing that, not on purpose. But that's kind of how I see things shaking out. Yes, I do see them ultimately defeating Vecna, though. And, and how quickly, do, if at all, do we see things get to any sort of normalcy? I don't know if we get that or not. I just I don't know what closure looks like for this show. And I think that's a good thing going into this finale. And I don't care if it takes two and a half, three hours to watch. I'm going to love every minute of it. Stranger Things Season 4 Volume 2 is going to start on July the 1st. Going to have a little summer fun with Star Wars style on August the 5th on Disney+. Plus. That is when Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation is going to drop from Lucasfilm, of course, on Disney+, Plus as well. Going to talk about the trailer for that for just a second because this is just fun. And sometimes... It's nice to, let's not, who cares about canon and all of this other stuff and taking things so seriously. Let's just have some fun. And this is basically a Lego Star Wars story where Finn arranging a surprise vacation for Rey and Poe, Rose, Chewie, BB-8, R2, and C-3PO. And there's a galactic star cruiser. So it's kind of like a cruise, right? Problem is, is that, you know, Finn thinks this is it. He's so stressed out. He gets separated from the group. And he actually ends up, being visited by three ghosts, and this in this case being Obi-Wan, Anakin, Skywalker, and Leia Organa, and they kind of all share their own vacation stories and about how they got a little bit screwed up. So I think that this is something that could be really, really fun, and yes, it does have a little bit of, you know, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol vibe to it, but obviously more fun. You've also got a really fun voice cast, though. You've got Weird Al's going to be a part of this, Yvette Nicole Brown. Because if you want to have fun, you add Yvette Nicole Brown to your cast. Dee Bradley Baker is going to be Boba Fett in this thing. You can't not have Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, so that's that's already done. Trevor Duvall going to be Emperor Palpatine. Guess, guess what? Matt Lantner is going to be back as Anakin Skywalker. And the list goes on and on and on. Really good voice cast. But... Again, I think it's interesting that Finn's the one that can't relax in this whole scenario. I think that that's going to be really, really fun. And just, you know, don't overthink it. Just let this be exactly what it is. This might be a good way to, you know, maybe introduce the kids to Star Wars to get the kids into Star Wars a little bit more if they're not already. And just, again, just have fun with it. Don't don't overthink this thing, this Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation Special. It's going to be coming on August the 5th to Disney+. Plus. I actually got a chance to get a look at the video-on-demand release for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which was from, of course, Marvel Studios and, and Disney+. Plus, and Marvel Studios provided me with a free copy of the video-on-demand release. All opinions are my own on this one. And I want to just pick through a little bit of st- a little bit of stuff from this. And I want to go... In what we found out in one of the special features on this where they were talking about the multiverse was that Dr. Doom was almost in the Illuminati. And they talked about how they wanted to give the fans what they wanted. And I thought that that was really interesting because imagine we got Dr. Doom for a second, which would have blown your mind more pun intended a little bit. Would it have been Dr. Doom or Professor X? Because I got to say, I think Professor X is great. But if you were to give me Dr. Doom and Reed Richards, boy, would that have been interesting, right? But maybe that's too much. Maybe you had to go one or the other. And they even said, you know, choices had to be made and things like that. So that I just think that that was a very interesting revelation that they gave us in that particular special feature. I also think that it, it, they really prop up America Chavez in this thing, too. I think they've actually got bigger plans for America Chavez than we even realized initially when we were watching Multiverse of Madness at the time. I thought the gag reel was really fun. There was a lot of dancing in that, especially from Benedict Cumberbatch. I never knew that Benedict Cumberbatch was just such a spontaneous dancer like that. I never knew that he had that in him, really. And, you know, of course, 
Elizabeth Olsen had, uh, having her fun as well. Also, the leaves flying in people's faces. That was really funny. I really, really enjoyed that. Another thing that this, this came from Variety, interviews with Variety. We found out that Mordo was supposed to die. Another version of Mordo was supposed to die. And Wanda was going to cut his head off and show it to Strange later. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's some hardcore stuff. Ultimately, of course, they didn't end up doing that. And then they also had another deleted scene where the Wasp, had a violent death as well. And if it's one of those cut scenes, like in a show or something like that, you go, what did I do? Apparently the wasp was going to be in the Illuminati as well. And that they ended up not doing that ultimately. So she got to, you know, live to fight another day, so to speak. And I don't think the wasp being in the Illuminati would have made a ton of sense anyway. So I think that I'm, I'm kind of, ha- I'm happy with the group we got. So I'm certainly not complaining about anything. I just, the, these were very interesting things that I thought were partially revealed in these special features. So Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness now available on video on demand, going to be available on, you know, Blu-ray and 4k ultra and all those other things on July the 26th. That's when you can get your hands on the physical copy of Dr. Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Here's one that I didn't expect to talk about this week. This one again, according to variety and it's Chris Pratt talking about his Mario voice for the upcoming Mario Super Mario movie which has been delayed until April of 2023. Here's the deal. He this is one of the things he said. He said I worked really closely with the directors in trying out a few things and landed on something that I'm really proud of and can't wait for people to hear. And he also says that it's an update it's updated and unlike anything you've heard in the Mario world before. We already know he's not using the Italian accent. We already know it's going to sound nothing like Charles Martinet. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing because there is a there are certain iconic voices that you want to hear. And Charles Martinet's Mario is one of them. It's really hard to follow something like that. And I think that it's really hard, especially for me too. I'll, I'll throw myself in this, maybe not as much as some, but I'll throw myself in this mix as well. It's really hard to let that go. It's really hard to just hear another voice. But I'm kind of also glad that we're not going to get Chris Pratt trying to do the Italian accent or trying to be Charles Martinet. That's not fair to Mario fans. It's not fair to Chris Pratt either. And we also, again, have to remember that none of this is Chris Pratt's fault. You keep coming at Chris Pratt. It is not his fault for getting this role. He went for a role. He ultimately got the role. Whoever was putting, you know, the, the people putting on this movie decided that this was what they wanted to hear. This was the sound they wanted to come up with. And I know part of it is you want a star, right? I, I So I understand that, too. So it's not completely like they, they chose him because it was, you know, absolutely 100% the voice that probably blew them away. I think that they picked a star and they found a voice that they liked. I think that, that, that again, my opinion, I think that that's kind of how... That went down, but it's kind of like when they revealed Sonic for the first time and fans just sort of were in this giant backlash for the Sonic movie. This is going to be an animated film, but at the same time, the first time we hear Chris Pratt's Mario, I think that it's going to be an interesting day in the news cycle because it's going to be a love it or hate it type situation. I just think that if the story's good and the movie's fun, I can be at peace with not hearing the Charles Martinet version of Mario in my head when I watch this movie. I can be okay with that. Can other fans be okay with that? I don't know. This is a classic character. This isn't just like any character. So you can totally understand why this is a hot-button issue already, and we're not, we haven't even gotten a first look, trailer, nothing yet. We've gotten nothing, and we're already talking about this a more a little bit less than a year before the release that's going to do it for this week's edition of the down and nerdy podcast again thanks to my great guests from chloe also Catherine law hagquist from motherland fort salem you can get more information on both of those things at down and nerdy podcast.com also follow along on social media at down and nerdy 757 on twitter and instagram at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, wherever you like to listen. Appreciate every subscription that you give us. Also, 
Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can listen to the show there as well if you want to. You've got timestamp links and things like that on there. And just, hey, thank you so much for your support. It is greatly appreciated. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But Wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.